Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Ben Blakey. Today's passage is Genesis 3 through 4. Part of good preparation is knowing what the other side is doing. Ask any good football coach, any good military general, and they'll tell you, right? The football coach is going to watch film of the other team. The general is going to try to understand what kind of tactics does the other army use in combat? What are their battle plans going to be? And you, my friend, you have an enemy. That's one thing we will see throughout the Bible. You have an enemy commonly referred to as the devil, Satan. He is real and he is opposed to you. What are his tactics? Do we have any record of what are the kinds of things that he tries to do to get people off track? Oh, yes, we do. Going all the way back here to the beginning, to Genesis chapter 3. And what you will see is that uh, Satan's tactics, uh, obviously there may be some new styles and some new spin on it, but at its core, at their core, Satan's tactics are still very much the same as they are in Genesis 3. And so I hope that opens up your eyes a little bit to what we're going to read today. And I want you to think about what you see the serpent saying to Eve, and I want you to see These are the same kinds of things that will be said to you, that you will be tempted to believe. So let's look at this together. Our passage is Genesis 3 and 4, and there's two main things that I want us to observe from these chapters today. And one is the nature of sin and temptation, and the other is the hope of the gospel. But first, let's talk about the nature of sin and temptation uh, as we see the tactics of the devil here. It introduces the serpent as crafty in chapter 3, and then it gets us quickly into the dialogue that he has with Eve. Now, even in the first first sentence he says, we see some problems and we see some tactics, some tactics that Satan will use on you as well. It says, he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Now look at that. But we see two things, two things that are at the core of Satan's playbook when it comes to temptation. And the first you see in just the way it's phrased, did God actually say? One of Satan's tactics is I'm going to attack God's word and I'm going to uh, even just, he's going to start here by just casting some doubt on God's word. Did God actually say? So he's not starting by outright contradicting God's word. He'll get to that though. Uh, He's starting by just casting some doubt. And not only does he attack God's word and cast doubt on God's word, One thing that I want you to see, and this is, I I think this gets 
lost a lot. Now, I think people might be, yeah, 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 Satan, he's probably opposed to, to God's word. But this next part is what, what happens to a lot of people, I think, without them realizing. He also casts doubt on God's goodness. Even the way the question is phrased, you, sh- you shall not eat of any tree in the garden. Now, that's something that's, that Satan is just totally fabricating. God, God never said that. God never said anything even close to that. In fact, what God has said is almost exactly opposite of that. The whole idea we got in Genesis 2 is that the garden is stocked and available to Adam with one one thing, don't eat of this one tree, but everything else, it is for you. And now he's saying, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? He's starting to cast doubt on the goodness of God. And that's what he'll come back to in uh, verse 4, where the serpent says to the woman, you will not surely die. Okay, now he's directly uh, seeming to contradict God's word. And then in verse 5, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The impression here is, hey, Eve, God's holding out on you. Hey, Eve, God has pulled a fast one on you. These rules, these rules are are keeping good things from you, Eve. These rules that God has made are, are keeping you from things that you deserve. Now, can you just stop and see how that's how Satan works all the time today? People are buying the lie. Wait a minute. I deserve more than I'm getting. Wait a minute. God is keeping something good from me. God doesn't want what's best for me. People are buying into that lie all the time, and it is so destructive. And another thing about the nature of of sin and temptation is it doesn't deliver. Uh, Satan here is implying, hey, it's going to make you like God. And what they instantly find is, oh, we're instantly naked and ashamed. We thought this would bring joy, some kind of fulfillment. It actually just brought shame and guilt and fear and all other kinds of bad things. That's how temptation still works today. And even that idea of God's holding out on me, I think some of that comes up if we you look at chapter four as well, where we see more of the nature of sin and temptation in this first murder as Cain murders Abel. It talks about their sacrifices and how Cain's sacrifice was was not really accepted. The Lord had no regard for Cain and his offering. So Cain, it says in chapter four and verse five, so Cain was very angry and his face fell. And the text doesn't use these words, but you can almost hear Cain saying, especially with what you'll see, how he objects to God's punishment as as too harsh. You can almost hear Cain saying, it's not fair. It's not fair that Abel's sacrifice gets accepted and mine doesn't. Do you see how that happens all the time today too? Well, it's not fair that, that well, they seem to get the favor of God, but I don't. And that goes to the same idea we see the the, the serpent tempting Adam and Eve or, or Eve here with, you know, hey, God's holding out on you. You deserve better. It's not fair. That, that you can't eat of this tree. You, you deserve that. And I want you, this is kind of the point of application for you, be watching out for this in your own life. 
when you get those thoughts of, man, God doesn't want what's best for me. Oh, this isn't fair. God's withholding something good from me. Go, whoa, 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 red flag. That's the devil talking. And I don't mean that necessarily in, in a literal way, but those are devilish thoughts. Those are the kind of thoughts that we see here leading to sin in this tragic chapter in the Bible, Genesis 3. Uh, So we spent some time on that, the nature of sin and temptation. But also, even though Genesis 3 is kind of in a very unique way, when when you say Genesis 3, we're not referring to something good normally. We're, We're talking about the fall. But even there in the fall, we also see the second thing I want us to focus on, the hope of the gospel. Genesis 3 and verse 15 is known kind of in the seminary and theological world often as the proto-evangelium. That means first gospel. And that's because of what it says here. I will put enmity, he's talking to the serpent, between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And people refer to that as the first gospel, seeing the ultimate fulfillment of that is Jesus Christ, uh, right? He's bruised in a sense, right? He, he dies, but then rises again, but Satan is crushed, The head of Satan is bruised. Satan is destroyed by this seed of the woman, ultimately fulfilled in Christ. So while there is some groaning that comes along as you read about the first sin, the first murder, some very not good things in today's reading, I want you to also be looking for hope. And you see hope especially there in chapter 3, verse 15. But also when you just look at all of the consequences of the fall, I want you to just think about how the opposite of those things is enabled by the gospel. I mean, for starters, just the immediate aftermath. Adam and Eve, who seem to have fellowship with God, have guilt and are instantly hiding from God, that their fellowship with God is is hindered. That can be changed through the gospel, through the good news of Jesus Christ who died on the cross for our sins and rose again, our guilt can be taken away and our urge to to hide from God can be taken away. We now have renewed fellowship with God, even through all of the the curse and things even to the woman that, that talk about family life being difficult. Well, family can be redeemed Through the gospel, he talks to man about work and how difficult that will be. Well, well, even your work can be redeemed through uh, the gospel or how they are sent out of the garden and separated from God. If you think of the end of the Bible, Revelation, well, we're back to the tree of life. Even that can be renewed ultimately through what Christ has done. So don't simply despair reading Genesis 3 and 4, find your heart filled with hope. Cain, in chapter 4, verse 16, he goes away from the presence of the Lord through Christ. We can come back to the presence of the Lord. We have a hope that goes within the veil, as Hebrews reminds us. Or as we get then into the list of Cain's descendants, we, we see some interesting things that, you know, civilization seems to develop and there are advances in civilization. And I think those are good things, even though the line of Cain does not seem to be filled with good and godly people. Thank God that we live in a world where even ungodly people can produce things that that are beneficial to 
human civilization and flourishing. But then we see the negative example of Lamech there and, and his boast and uh, just his selfishness and exalting himself through even violent means. But even chapter four, which is another sad chapter, ends on a positive note of this other son being born to Adam and Eve named Seth. And it is through Seth, ultimately, uh, that Noah will come. Um, And so then Seth, ultimately, then the the line of the Messiah will be through Seth. But it it ends chapter four saying, at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. And and that's where hope can be found. We, We think of what we read in Romans all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. So we see the beginning of sin and we see the beginning of the curse, but we also see the beginning of hope through the seed of uh, the woman and the reality that those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, how is that possible? That's another thing ultimately that points us to Christ as God is confronting Cain, he talks about how his brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And you get the sense from the context there, it's it's crying out to God for justice, or you might even say vengeance. But as Hebrews tells us, the blood of Christ speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Abel's blood crying out for justice, vengeance, the blood of Christ crying out for mercy, grace, and forgiveness. So even though you, everyone listening to this podcast, you are guilty. It's not just as if, oh, I've inherited Adam's sin. What rotten luck for me? No, you are guilty too. You are guilty of sin. But there is hope for you because Jesus Christ, the seed of the woman came into the world and he died on the cross for us and he rose again and and he will crush the head of the serpent. And so that's where there is hope for us. So I hope today really causes us to worship by uh, focusing us on the hope that comes through the gospel. I also hope that today uh, gives us some things to apply in our own battle with temptation, that we will see and expose some of the nefarious tactics of our enemy, the devil, especially how he will try to impugn the goodness of God in our eyes. I hope you can spot that tactic in your own battle with sin today. Thanks for digging into God's Word with me today on Revival from the Bible. For more resources, check out RevivalFromTheBible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to CompassBible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.